Would you turn again to Acts chapter 20 and verses 17 to the end. Acts chapter 20, verse 17 onwards. Now, I expect some of you are familiar with this book. If you can't see what it says, it's Operation World. Operation World is a guide to the state of Christianity worldwide. It's helpful for praying for God's work around the world. And it has all the countries, I think it's all of them in the world, in alphabetical order. And tells you a bit about what's going on in them. And for many countries, it's very encouraging. The church is growing rapidly. People are being saved And for nearly all of those countries where the church is growing rapidly, it then tells you about a need. It comes up again and again and again, a particular need in in countries where the church is really growing. Do you know what this need is that just keeps coming up, country after country? It's leadership in the churches. There's so many countries where there is great growth of the gospel but then a lack of stability and and some weakness and dangers susceptible to false teaching because of lack of leaders. And that's not surprising to hear that leadership matters because you'll find that here in Acts. So Acts is the story of the church being established and growing as the gospel is spread wider and wider. I've heard a series on Acts called Ever Increasing Circles. You know, you drop a stone in a pond and then the ripples go out in ever-increasing circles. And Acts is like that. And the stone that was dropped into the pond, oh, it's Jesus there in Jerusalem. And then the gospel goes out in ever-increasing circles, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And you get to Acts 28 and it's what they considered almost the ends of the earth. But it leaves it as unfinished business to carry on going out in our day. And so it tells the Acts of the Apostles, it is a good name for it, the Acts of the Apostles, as they spread the message. And they work at strengthening disciples in the faith. Read Acts carefully, you find quite a lot of the time is spent, not on reaching new people, yeah, they spend a lot of time on that, but also on strengthening new disciples in the faith. Making sure the work is going to continue. And part of them doing this, Part of them making it something that will continue after they are dead and buried is getting good leadership in the church. And that's what's going on in Acts 20. That's how Acts 20 fits into the book of Acts, fits with the subject of Acts. It's showing us the leadership the church needs. And Paul trying to make sure that there is in place the leadership the church needs so the work continues once he's taken off the scene. You can see the importance of this leadership another way. Here in Acts chapter 20, Paul has had three successful years in Ephesus. And people have turned from dead Judaism to Christ. And people have turned from the occult to Christ and burnt their occult books at great expense. And people have turned from the worship of the idol Artemis to Christ. In fact, so many that the idol makers set off a riot because they're annoyed at their loss of profits. He's had a successful time there for three years, and now he's leaving. What does he do? What's at the top of his priorities as he leaves? How does he prepare them for life without him? Well, he teaches the elders how they should lead. 
You can see exactly the same priority in Titus there. Paul has been in Crete and he's worked in Crete, but he hasn't managed to complete his work before he leaves. And so he says in Titus 1 verse 5, the reason I left you, Titus, in Crete was that you might straighten out what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town. Leadership, so important for the continuation of the work. Well, we have got a new elder, Barclay. And so I thought it's a suitable time to just get some of the Bible's teaching on elders. Now, most of you are not elders, so why listen to something on elders? Maybe I should I have just done this in an elders meeting, give the elders some teaching? Well, no, elders are there for your good. So you have a self-interest in understanding their role. There's one reason to please keep listening. Another is, elders are necessary for the church. I've just been trying to make the case that elders are necessary for the church, and I hope you are concerned for the church of the Lord Jesus. And if you're a member of the church, well, you've got a responsibility to care for the church. You may have, hopefully you will have in future, a responsibility to look out for new elders. So you need to know something about what sort of people to look out for. As you hear about elders and what they should be like, I hope it will cause you to pray the church would have elders that are like this and continue to have elders that are like this because the witness here will not continue without that. And along the way, I think there will be some practical application for you, things to do in response. So you may not be an elder, but please keep listening to this teaching about elders. Well, before we get into Acts 20, just very briefly, well, what is an elder? Because Acts 20 doesn't define them. In fact, we find in Acts, elders crop up without explanation of who they are. Earlier on in the book, it says Paul appointed elders. But it doesn't tell us what elders are. Because as is so often the case, the explanation is back in the Old Testament. The Old Testament Israelites were led and governed by people called elders. The the word elder is someone with a beard. Now, oh, Barclay's got his back. (laughs) It went for a while and he's got it back. It doesn't mean the rest of us are disqualified from being elders. Um, The idea is it's someone with a certain maturity. It doesn't have to be an old man. You don't have to be that old to grow a beard, do you? But it's the, the idea was it was someone of a certain maturity. I think it also means male as well, doesn't it? (laughs) If we get some hairy-faced women applying, we'll deal with that later. (laughs) But it just means a certain level of maturity was needed for it, and so they were called elders. And the New Testament church uh, took the same model. And so in the New Testament, the leaders of the church are sometimes called elders. They're sometimes called overseers. Old Bibles translated that bishop. But don't think of a Church of England bishop. It's not that model. It's an overseer of a local church. And the words are used interchangeably. And they mean the same person. So, let's learn from Acts 20 about elders. We need elders who... Well, I've got two things. The the notice sheet says three. But I thought I'd be overloading you by the time I got to the third. So, it's just the two The first two on that notice sheet. We need elders who, first of all, take up and pass on the baton. This is verses 17 to 27. Now here's Paul with these people. He's been with them for years. He loves these people. He's never going to see them again. He says that here. He's never going to see them again. And he's got limited time with them. 
And yet, he spends verse 17 to 27 not telling them anything to do, telling them what he's done. In fact, I was going to start this sermon at verse 28, but then I thought, that's wrong. Paul had a reason for telling them what he's done. What was his reason? Why does he spend his first while rather defensively going over his records? Well, because he wants to make sure that they will carry on where he's left off. There were frequently people attacking his character and attacking his message, and if the church is to continue, they need to continue his work. And so it was worth the risk of him sounding a bit defensive to get them taking up the baton as he hands it on. He's doing the same thing as in 2 Timothy 2 verse 2. That's a nice easy one to remember because of all those twos. 2 Timothy 2 verse 2. Uh, In 2 Timothy, Paul's about to die. How will the gospel work continue? 2 Timothy 2 verse 2. He says, and the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. Now, I wonder if you remember the children's talk on this when we were doing this, going through Bible books. For 2 Timothy, we had a little relay race set up here. But instead of a baton, we had a roll of cling film. And there was a child here representing Jesus, who passed on the baton to another child representing Paul, who passed on the baton to another child representing Timothy, who passed on the baton to another child, well, they're the people Timothy is to teach. But then there's a further stage, because he says, make sure you pass it on to people who will then pass it on to others. Do you see the baton, like in a relay race, being passed from one to the other, so it goes down the generations. And so the gospel would be passed down through history. And so Paul here in Acts 20 is passing on the baton to these elders, who are then, like Timothy, to pass it on to others. What is the baton, though, that they are to take from Paul and to pass on to others? Well, there are two things in these verses. There's Paul's example and there's Paul's message. That's the baton they're to take from him and pass on to others. Paul's example and Paul's message. Paul's example, first of all, he describes himself and what he's done to give them an example to follow. And his example is, he's a man on a mission. Look at verse 24. Verse 24. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me if only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. The task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. He's a man on a mission. His life is worth nothing as long as he can just get this done. And he'll go through, verse 19 says tests and tears and plots and troubles for this mission. Now, it isn't just because he's got a driven character. I suspect Paul was one of those driven sort of people, Um, an all-or-nothing sort of personality. But it's not just because of that. No, it's a mission from the Holy Spirit. Verse 22, And now compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem. Verse 23, in every city the Holy Spirit warns what's going to happen. I know that's not saying the Holy Spirit has given him this mission, but Luke loves to bring in wherever he can. Look, the Holy Spirit is behind all this human activity. 
And so the elders should similarly see their role as from the Holy Spirit. Verse 28. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. That's funny. Because a few chapters earlier we read that Paul and Barnabas made them overseers. And later on we find that Titus and Timothy are to appoint people as elders. But Paul says, ah, but behind this, it may have just been something done in a church meeting. But behind it is the work of the Holy Spirit. And that work of the Holy Spirit makes Paul a man on a mission. And because of this mission, and because of the power of the Holy Spirit in him, he speaks. Verse 20. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. Verse 21. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks repentance and faith. Verse 24. My task is testifying to the gospel of God's grace. Verse 27, I proclaim to you the whole will of God. Teaching, proclaiming, preaching, testifying, declaring. He mounts up the words to say, because of this mission, i just got to speak God's words. And now he's passing on the role to elders. Who interestingly in Ephesians, remember this is Ephesus, he's at, in Ephesians chapter 4 are called pastor teachers. Elders there are called pastor teachers. They've got to take on the baton from Paul and teach. He wants them to follow his example. So what baton are they to take up from Paul and pass on? First of all his example, but secondly his message. And by his, I know I've just been saying there to teach, but I mean the content of the message. And Paul describes the content of his message in three phrases. First of all, verse 21. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. His message was repentance and faith. But then he puts it a different way in verse 24. I consider my life worth nothing to me if only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. The gospel of God's grace, that's another way of describing his message. And then a third way is in verse 27. 27, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. It doesn't mean he managed to tell the people in Ephesus, God's will is for you to marry him, and God's will is for you to change your job and get a different one. We think of God's will like that. Now he means God's will is that you should be made like Christ. And I'm going to detail to you some of how it means to be made like Christ and to glorify him. He's setting out to the elders in Ephesus, and in Hollywell Church, although he didn't know that, what they must keep teaching. Remember the three phrases? First of all, repentance and faith. Hollywell needs elders who understand repentance and faith and how the two go together. And how it is we can demand repentance while completely advocating we rely on Christ, not on self. And Hollywell needs elders who keep teaching and encouraging and exhorting people, saints and sinners, to repent. And to trust Jesus. 
And Hollywell needs elders who are aware that every week believers will be under pressure to drift from Jesus and under pressure to doubt Jesus and need help every week to keep trusting Jesus. Repentance and faith. What was his second phrase? The gospel of grace. Gospel of grace. Oh, we keep needing this. You know, I've got notes here I preach from, and I do my notes on Microsoft Word. And I've got my way, I like setting out Microsoft Word, and I indent it here to show this bit's to be emphasised, and I number it this way. What does Microsoft Word do? It keeps reverting back to its own way of doing it. And I say that's point two, and it says, no, it's point four. I think, where do you get four from? It's so annoying. It reverts back to its own way of doing things. Some of you probably don't have that problem because you're more computer literate than me. But my point is it keeps reverting back to its way. Now, we're like Microsoft Word. We keep reverting back. We keep reverting back to thinking in terms of earning from God. And reverting back to thinking, oh, I didn't have my quiet time this morning, that's why the day's gone wrong, because God has been watching me, ready to hit me with his big stick. Like some school teacher just trying to watch out and catch you because you've slipped up. And we need elders who keep bringing us back to the good news of God's grace. He's full of grace. And he's generous. And it's undeserved. In other words, we need those who keep bringing us back to Jesus. What was Paul's third phrase? The whole will of God. You see, keeping bringing us back to Jesus doesn't mean keeping us baby Christians on a, on a diet of gospel ABCs the whole time. We need elders who teach the whole will of God, who teach how to please him at home and at work and at leisure, how to please him with your abilities and with your money and your relationships. In other words... We need people who will teach us practical Christ-likeness in the actual situations we face. If the church is going to continue, if the gospel work here at Hollywell is going to continue, then we need elders who hold firmly to the trustworthy message of Jesus. That, by the way, is a quote from Titus 1, verse 9. Paul said to Titus, right, if you're going to straighten things out there, you need to be looking for elders who hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught. So that means we need elders who understand Bible doctrine and who are taken up with Jesus. It's got to be both. I hope you recognise that. It's got to be both. If you just have men who understand Bible doctrine, that'll be just dead and deadening. If you just have men who, yes, they, oh, they sound so taken up with Jesus, they sound so spiritual, but they don't have the understanding, that will be unstable and will always be susceptible to troubles and errors. We need both. So, Paul says, fine, you men, you need to take up the baton that I'm handing on to you. Now, I reckon we... we underestimate the importance of this. I suspect we make some presumptions about this. So I'll describe to you a typical approach with finding elders. I'm not necessarily saying here, you can judge whether it's here or not. Here's a typical approach. You spot that someone is well involved in church life. And then you see, oh, he comes to the prayer meeting regularly. That's a good thing. And then you notice he's reliable and competent. He's not a complete dimwit. And then you check that his family life isn't completely chaotic, right? That's good, it's looking good so far. And then you ask, can he relate to people fairly well? 
then, hey presto, you've got yourself an elder, haven't you? Sounding good? Well, hang on a minute. Do you know what he believes? Well, you say, yeah, of course we know what he believes. He comes to Hollywell. And in the prayer meetings, he prays that people would be saved and he thanks God for the death of Jesus on the cross. Yeah, that's good. But what does he mean by saved? What does he think Jesus actually achieved on the cross? You see, if an elder isn't right on those, we're in big trouble. So, let's not make presumptions. In fact, this is why, recently, elders have been questioning potential elders before commending them to the church meeting. We can't just make presumptions. We've got to check. Do people hold to the trustworthy message as it has been taught? For the church to continue... For gospel work to continue here, we need people who take up the baton of Paul's example and Paul's teaching. Which I hope you recognise really means Jesus' example and Jesus' teaching. As, Jesus, as Paul said, follow me as I follow Jesus. Okay, so there's the first half of it. Here's the second half. Here's the second half. We need elders who shepherd the church of God. This is the emphasis in verse 28 to 31. 28 to 31. We need elders who shepherd the church of God. Now, what is a pastor? Well, pastor is just the Latin word for shepherd. So if you didn't know that before, now you know some Latin. Yeah, Nice to know some Latin, isn't it? It makes you feel clever. You know some Latin... Pastor is simply the Latin word for shepherd. In fact, I find it rather odd that Ephesians 4 translates the word shepherd pastor and everywhere else it's not translated pastor, it's translated shepherd. I don't know of any good reason. If anyone does, tell me afterwards. I don't know. It's just the word shepherd. Now, notice in verse 17 who Paul is speaking to. Verse 17, he sent for the elders of the church. You say, That's a, yes, I know that. We've been talking about elders. Yes, but notice what he tells them to do in verse 28. There in the middle of verse 28, do you see it? Be shepherds of the church of God. In other words, be pastors. It's exactly the same word as pastors in, in Ephesians 4. It's exactly the same in 1 Peter 5. So this time it's not Paul, but it's Peter speaking. And he says in 1 Peter 5, To the elders among you I appeal as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's sufferings, and one who will also share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock. Elders are to be shepherds. Which for some strange reason we've then decided to be a bit fancy and take the Latin word and call and say pastors. But then we do this odd thing as well that I really don't understand, which is to say, well, we've got one pastor who's different from the elders. There's one man called the pastor and the others we don't call pastors, we call them elders. Where do we get that from? Not the Bible. All elders are pastors. I'm not denying that there is a call to gospel ministry that's different. I'm not denying that there is that there are elders who are to give themselves to the work of preaching. Paul talks about that in Timothy. That causes a difference. But all elders are to pastor. Because the word pastor just means shepherd. Sometimes in Hollywell, people refer to uh, our two pastors, Joseph and and Seth. But that's not correct. 
Our pastors are Paul, David, Alistair, Barclay and me. That's biblical. Ah, you say, yes, yes, in theory, in theory. But in practice, not all of the elders do pastoring. But there's a problem there. And the problem, it seems to me, is too narrow an idea of pastoral work. We think of pastoral work as just one-to-one work or pastoral visiting. So we better think, what is pastoral work? What is this shepherding that elders are to do? Let's go back to verse 28. Verse 28. What is shepherding in verse 28? Oh, it's keeping watch over the flock. You see it there? Keeping watch over the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God. It's saying the same thing in two different phrases. Now that's interesting. It's keeping watch over the flock. So straight away that tells you it's not just one-to-one individual personal work because it's something with a flock-wide interest. Caring for the church as a whole. But let's think a bit more. What is involved in this keeping watch over the flock? I want you to imagine, if you can, a Middle Eastern shepherd. And there he is with a flock of sheep in some dry, scrubby land. There's some bushes here and there. There's a patch of grass over there and a dry sand over here. And what does a shepherd do? Let's get some ideas and see how it's relevant. What does a shepherd do? There's lots of answers, so someone start us off. Find them grass. Okay, in other words, he's got to feed them, hasn't he? He's got to feed them. Uh, In other words, teaching. Well, let's say in other words, bringing it into the church. It's verse 20. It's teaching. Verse 20, you know I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. And that last phrase is a reminder... It's not that an elder has to be a gifted preacher to the whole church. It can be teaching on an individual basis. It's someone who knows the truth and is able to communicate it such that he can lead the flock and feed the flock. Okay, he's got to find grass. What else does a, does a shepherd do? Protect the flock. From wolves. And that is the whole subject of verse 29 to 31. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock, even from your own number. Does that mean the church as a whole or does it mean the elders in particular? We don't know. But it's certainly shocking. From among their own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. And the elders must guard the church. In other words, warn against false teachers. Make sure those who will be damaging to the church are kept out. Of course we welcome unbelievers in. But the church has also got to be guarded from those who claim to be believers but whose lives contradict it and whose message and example is damaging. Guard the sheep. What else do shepherds do? Look for lost sheep, thank you. Searching for lost sheep. In other words, bringing people who are far from Christ. Bringing the gospel to them. What else do shepherds do? Lead. They've got to lead the flock. Yes, that's that's why I purposely set it in a Middle Eastern context, because I don't think they have to do much in England, do they? In our rather wet country, there's plenty of grass everywhere. They've got to lead them to new pastures. 
In other words, elders have to govern the church and give direction. In fact, this is really fundamental to the meaning of the word overseer. Someone who's going to lead, someone who's going to govern, someone who's going to give direction to the church. There was another one. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Caring for weak and ill sheep. Those are, in other words, what 1 Thessalonians 5 calls encourage the timid, help the weak. That's what we would classically think of past, as pastoral work. But notice that's one part of pastoral work. Very important part, but it's one part of the whole. What else do shepherds have to do? Yes, that's right, yes. Yes, uh, Psalm 23, he leads me beside still water. I think you could include that in amongst the feeding, isn't it, and the refreshing on God's words. We've had find lost sheep, but what could he do before the sheep get lost? He might see some that are starting to get lost, mightn't he? A wandering sheep and bring back the wandering sheep. In other words, the person who's drifting from Christ, the person who is starting to get entangled in the world, the person who's fallen for a sin, bringing them back, restoring them. Any other things a shepherd does? There's a less obvious one in Ezekiel 34. Ezekiel 34 is a very interesting chapter. Don't worry about turning to it now. I'm not going to read part of it. But it's, it's about the elders of the Israelites being bad shepherds. And one of the issues that comes up in Ezekiel 34 is sheep fights. A shepherd has to deal with fighting sheep and stop them fighting. I don't know if sheep fight much in practice, do they? I suppose they've got horns, so they must do a bit of fighting. Sorting out any sheep fights. In other words, sadly, elders have to do this, dealing with fallouts between Christians, dealing with unloving action within the church. Sorting out and putting a stop to sheep fights. Um, I think we've got through most of the shepherd's sort of jobs, haven't we? There is also shearing and dipping, but I couldn't think of a parallel for that. Unless you say baptism is dipping, but that's pushing it a bit. Yes, I think we've gone through there things that a shepherd is to do and parallels with elders. Now, two applications of this for you, two applications for non-elders. And the first is, understand the role of elders and help them to keep watch over you. Sometimes elders want to speak to someone, but the person just makes himself unavailable. Now, sometimes that's busyness, but sometimes it becomes clear after a while, this isn't busyness. This is is avoidance. Sometimes elders need to correct someone, but the person objects to talking about the issue. They say, that's not very pastoral, because they think pastoral means just drinking cups of tea and saying nice words. Sometimes people just separate themselves off from the flock and keep very private. And all such actions are saying, I don't need elders to shepherd me. They wouldn't say so many words, but their actions are basically saying, I don't need elders to shepherd me. I'd like to have someone to say some nice things to me, but I don't need correction, and I'm not going to put up with it. Please don't do that. Hebrews says, elders keep watch over you as men who must give account. As David said this morning, we are, what was it? 
fallible men, wasn't it? Not infallible. (laughs) We are fallible men, not infallible men. And we can get it wrong, but we are to try to keep watch over you. Please help us with it. Here's the second application. Understand the role of elders and therefore value the place of doctrinal teaching and warning. So in Ephesus, they're going to have these people in verse 30 who arise and distort the truth. Children here, we've got a few children here. Have you seen those fairground mirrors? They're good fun. And you look in this mirror and it's you looking out but your head has been made to expand out or you've been made to look nice and thin and it's distorted you. And Paul says there's going to be people distort the truth. Distortions are not always easy to see because it means there is truth there but they have overemphasised one bit and underemphasised another bit such that it becomes not really the truth and quite misleading. And because there are such people, even in a church founded by the Apostle Paul, so let's not think, oh, it wouldn't happen in Hollywell, it means we need elders who teach the truth. Not just nice, light, easy to understand messages, but sometimes having to work hard at explaining what the truth is and contrasting it with the distortion. And and that can be hard work. And it means also elders sometimes need to say that people and teachings are wrong. So please don't switch off from straight teaching about doctrine. Ah, this is boring, give me something practical. And please don't object to teaching that sounds negative. Ah, this is just proud negativity and saying other people are wrong. Sometimes it's needed. Would you like to have the Apostle Paul as your preacher? Don't you think that would be wonderful, the Apostle Paul as your preacher? But look what it would be like if you had him as your preacher in Ephesus. Verse 31. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. That doesn't sound like light and easy listening. If you had Paul, you might have three years of warnings with a load of tears as well. I reckon he wasn't very easy going. But they need, there are times we need warnings. An awful lot of the New Testament is warnings because churches, even ones founded by the Apostle Paul, had started going off the rails pretty quickly and needed something negative said to warn them against those Judaizers who are going to lead you against the gospel, away from the gospel, even though it seemed like such a little technicality they differed over. So there's two applications for you. Please help elders in their work of keeping watch and understand that they need to do it. And the other is understand their role of teaching and warning. We need both. Now, I've emphasised their shepherding and keeping watch over the flock, but have a look at verse 28 again. What comes first before keeping watch over the flock? Keep watch over yourselves. These men are told first to keep watch over themselves. And it's purposely put first. Have you flown in an aeroplane? Before the aeroplane takes off, what do you hear? The safety talk, don't you? And what's the classic thing in the safety talk? I don't know if this ever happens. They say, if we've got this nice pressurised cabin, but if, you know, the oxygen supply fails and so on, the, uh, the mask will come down. And what do they always say? If you're with a child or someone else who needs help, 
What do they always say to do? Put your own mask on first, don't they? They always say, put your own mask on first before helping them. Because if you've passed out from lack of oxygen, you won't be much help to them. And so elders will not be any help to the church if they're not keeping watch over their faith and their love and their fellowship with God and their holiness and their daily repentance and their prayer life and their understanding of the truth. You need elders who keep watch over themselves in all those ways and more. This is a very important subject. But I don't think lots needs to be said about it. Because I think, I hope it's fairly obvious, but we forget it. And us elders, I suspect we can easily forget it. So a practical application is, pray for your elders to keep watch over themselves. Because if they don't, there's a devil out to get them, and they'll go down, and they'll do damage to the church. We'll do damage to the church. So one of the best things you can do for the health of the church, one of the best things you can do for there being a long-term gospel witness here, is pray for elders to keep watch over themselves. We need it. Please do it for us. Well, as I said at the beginning, I had a third point planned, but I think that we will leave the other verses. I hope you care about the church of the Lord Jesus. God certainly does. Look how much he does. Verse 28. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. That is an amazing statement. The church of God, which he bought with his own blood. The God-man, Jesus, paid for the church. He loved his bride and purchased his bride with his lifeblood. The church is precious to God. I hope it is to you. And for this church, Hollywell, to continue and to grow and to spread good news and for people to be saved, it needs good leadership. And if you're part of this church, we have some responsibility for that, including praying for your elders. Please do. If you're not a Christian, I hope you haven't switched off in this. Can I have your attention? What I've said might have sounded like it's just of interest to people who are into religious stuff and there's nothing here to grab you. But actually, what's here certainly grabbed Paul. Verse 24, I consider my life worth nothing to me if only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of telling about the gospel of God's grace. It grabbed Paul and he was urgent. Why? Oh, because there were people who needed the gospel. And he must tell them. Why? Because there were people on their way to hell until they hear this gospel. And turn to God from their sin and put their trust in the Lord Jesus. Are you still on your way to hell? Or have you heard this gospel and it's been good news to you and you've turned to God in repentance and you've put your trust in Jesus? Well, I couldn't think of a hymn that really follows on from this. There are hymns in Christian hymns, actually, about elders, but they're really hard work. So I thought instead we will just finish by praying. So let's finish by praying this evening.